The classroom can be a space for us to engage in deep learning, rigorous debate, collaboration, and critical thinking. It's a space where our senses can be active and nourished. However, entry into the classroom has been historically limited to upper caste cis men. What happens when these exclusions are challenged? Welcome to a bonus episode of Research Radio, where Pete Hirumal and Kamal Christie join us to discuss the APW article on higher education in India and their scholarship on media studies. I'm your host Abhishek, and I'm happy to introduce them. Dr. Pete Hirumal teaches at the Department of Communication at the University of Hyderabad. Specifically, he covers courses related to theory, history, and media science with reference to modernity and deep time. His scholarship has focused on the cultural histories of Northeast India, including embodiment studies, focusing on discriminatory practices of Dalit Bahujans in higher education institutions in India. Dr. Kamal Christie is currently an international fellow of Urban Studies Foundation, Glasgow. She teaches journalism at Kamla Nehru College at the University of Delhi. Her research on the politics of gender, sexuality, caste, religion, media, and urban space broadly focuses on spatial production of marginality and responses to it in India. We'll be discussing several of their articles and I recommend checking them out via the links in the show notes. A quick heads up, uh, Professor Thirumal's voice oscillates in the beginning um, and it appears to be a technical problem that I wasn't able to address during the editing process. I apologize about this. Now, on to the conversation. Thanks so much for joining us, Professor Kamil Christie and, and Professor P. Thirumal. A warm welcome to you both. Thank you, Abhishek. Yeah, uh, thank you, Abhishek. So I thought we could start by learning about the process of writing the EPW Engage article titled why Indian universities are places where Savarnas get affection and Dalit Bahujans experience distance. I think uh, Christy and me, we have been in touch. We have been talking about the discipline. We've been talking about the academia. We've been talking about issues of caste. And especially there has been so many suicides from uh, the late, I mean, from 2007 to 2015. There's been a spate of suicides and... Uh, we have been bothered about it. I, for instance, have been a founder member of SCST faculty forum in the University of Hyderabad. I've been in that organization for many years. So uh, our concern has been more of students rather than faculty, although we call ourselves. So uh, there's a certain a certain kind of relationship that we that we have with the students. Plus, what makes this uh, faculty forum better? Uh, used to make the faculty for a vibrant was also the, the Ambedkarite politics, the vibrant Ambedkarite politics in the University of Hyderabad. The Ambedkarite Students Association started in this university. Now it has moved almost so many places in the country. So, you know, what happens outside the classroom many times is so much of concern inside the classroom. And uh, it tells on the way we understand our subjects. It tells on the way we understand our politics. It tells on the way we do research, like Christie is also, it's part of a, you know, a certain uneasiness about what is happening. There's a certain discomfort, a discomfort with the regular procedures of, of, of academia. So we have been talking and obviously, I mean, uh, we, we got together to write this and we have been reading a little bit on what uh, Christie would call as affective studies, which is basically about uh, you know, in some sense, what are the emotions, what are the sensations, what is the life of caste rather than the ideology of caste? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. So my time at University of Hyderabad already informed me or um, have kind of shaped me in several ways about understanding caste and uh, also as a Dalit Bhavajan student on the campus, one also has a lot of experiences which um, which makes one aware of, uh, of course, the procedures, processes which exclude students is one thing, but one was also aware of how it is experienced and how it is um, intensely experienced through the body as well. You know, it creates a certain sense of fear or it creates a certain sense of the ability of not being able to happy in some spaces, you know, the ability of not being able to inhabit that space fully in some way. So these experiences were already there, but which, of course, one couldn't make sense of in a more organized and logical manner when it was happening. And like Professor Dhirmar mentioned, many uh, incidents, so, suicides of uh, Sentil in 2007 or 8, then um, Rohit Vemula in University of Hyderabad and um, Muthukrishnan in um, Jawaharlal Nehru University. Uh, all these have also created a lot of emotional turbulence in uh, many of us. And well, so it's it didn't stop at that. We also wanted to think about how to understand it. So many of our uh, discussions and readings kind of um, led us to think about this extra verbal means through which we experience discrimination as well as it is stimulated. So the it is not just in the experience of the Dalit Bhavajan, but how it is also stimulated by certain aesthetic or uh, sensorial practices of the of the dominant caste uh, person or the dominant caste groups in many ways. So we wanted to understand this exchange in some way. So that's how I think we started doing it. And actually we wrote the article immediately after the death of Muthukrishnan, uh, though it came out uh, sometime after that, it was published later. Yes, yes. I, I think the stakes of writing on universities as oppressive spaces are, are quite high. Uh, I think also that the uh, word that stuck with me was extra-verbal and it shows how the form of institutional Brahmanism uh, has a deep impact on uh, Dalit Bahujan students particularly. Um, in this uh, context, could we understand uh, or learn a little more about the research methods or frameworks that were useful during your writing process? If you look at caste studies, the way caste studies were done, caste studies were done in a very empirical way. You know, you, somebody is not allowed to go to the well. Somebody is not allowed to do something. Some other public space you're not allowed. That is one kind of information. That is one kind of uh, way to understand the world in which uh, caste oppression happens. But uh, in a university, people are allowed to drink water. People are allowed to sit in the classroom. But when students are sitting in the class, uh, it doesn't mean... The intensity with which they experience the classroom is the same for all the students. Or the intensity with which they experience the campus, be it a theater, or be it a canteen, or be it a library space, or be it just lying on the ground. It looks as if different students experience the spaces, especially the Dalit Bahujan students, have a certain lack of intensity, as it were. They're not allowed to experience with intensity. I mean, may put it that way. 
So, uh, how do you study this? You study this uh, not through because you you see most of it is invisible. The mood is invisible. The way the teacher looks at you is not really. Uh, he, I mean, he's looking in the class, the teacher. But how do you know he's not looking at you? I mean, he's looking at you in a particular or not at all looking at you. It can be complete indifference. How is that a whole lot of students in a class can can become invisible for for certain uh, in certain classrooms? Now, how do you complain of that? Uh, so, what we are trying to read is the and and it is even more difficult for the students to complain because you can't you can't easily complain against that. So, uh, in some sense, these what we have been doing. Uh, through that article and later on my dominant bodies etc is basically to say that what is it that makes some savarna students experience and savarna teachers as well experience an undiminished being and what is it that makes other students and other faculty not experience that intense kind of work i mean or rather a diminished being to experience a diminished pain you can be so many things how is that there is a certain way that i bring uh, you could be happy in a place and somebody else could be happy in a place how is that some students curiosity is nurtured or at least the student feels it's nurtured and somebody's curiosity is seen as dumb now we could do excellent ethnographies to understand this but you know to study i cannot go into a brahmin home to study brahmin so i cannot brahmin can come into my home it's a very difficult space what we are putting out is some theoretical formulations we will not be able to do it unless we disguise ourselves or you get a project where you get researchers i know some or some of my colleagues do that employ brahmin informants and send them and and find out because that kind of information is not available what do they think what do they feel so uh so to, to your question about the procedure i'm not sure but what we are offering is a certain methodological in the sense if theory is method then we are we are offering a certain formulation yes uh, so as um, professor tirumal explained this exchange is something that is that we think is important to capture at some level because um, like he mentioned there is excessive information about discrimination experienced by dalit bahujans in some ways while we do not know what happens what transpires uh, at this exchange which uh, which tells us about uh, about the ways in which caste actually works it is in the doing of caste which is built into the body in some ways it is not just in its um, explicit articulations like professor tirumal mentioned in the classroom why do you feel that um, you are uh, your comprehension doesn't matter why the teacher didn't look at you why does that matter or why does that happen how you become invisible so it's not just about what you experience but it is also about this exchange which is a very affective very bodily and it's also something that um, i think in some of professor tirumal's earlier works he calls as the uh, it's the level of the 
not so conscious interactions, not so deliberate interactions, probably, but rather built into our bodies as uh, bodies and being in many ways. So what is this being that perpetuates uh, this level of exclusion and being of different ways, being like a full being or not, uh, or a being that wants to hide. So how does that, um, how does that come about? So some, uh, I mean, we have been looking for, uh, we have read some things and we, we were trying to make connections when we wrote the article, but a lot needs to be done. And uh, Professor Tirumal has been taking it forward uh, with his uh, later articles. Yeah, yeah, and I think that the uh, aspect about uh, exchange is also so key. The way, with if, if I'm following uh, the responses correctly, uh, in the sense that it's not just you know something that happens; uh, it's also something that because of the space that affects other people in the in the space as well. So it becomes clear who is supposed to be in uh, Professor Thirumal's words that you know uh, uh, undiminished, and you know who who is diminished and doesn't feel completely uh, I- included and completely. Um, uh, um, you know, participate, partic- uh, the chance to participate in, in, in that kind of knowledge production or learning. So it's like that entire environment that's very uh, immersive. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, before switching gears to understand uh, uh, the the book that's based on your PhD, I thought that, you know, since we're already on the topic, I think it we already uh, touched upon this. But since both of you all have also been in, you know, positions of authority within the university space, uh, and, you know, you already spoke about how you, uh, Professor Thirumal, think about this in terms of a student's lens rather than a faculty lens. Uh, so I was interested in knowing some more about that because, you know, uh, you know, as Dean of University of Hyderabad's uh, Sarojini Naidu uh, School of Arts and Communication and then Professor, uh, Professor Thirumal and, you know, Professor Carmel uh, as as Professor uh, at the Kamla Nehru uh, University before. Uh, you know, both of you have this, uh, as I mentioned, uh, experience of being in, in positions of authority. So if you can tell us about, uh, you know, how y'all have approached uh, creating, uh, making the classroom an emancipatory, pla- emancipatory place, uh, one that's not, uh, you know, uh, um, diminishing towards Dalit Bahujan students and other, you know, marginalized uh, students of marginalized backgrounds. Um, I work as assistant professor of journalism at Kamla Nehru College. I mean, I have not held significant administrative positions yet but um, being a teacher in itself is uh, a lot of responsibility and a lot of power also comes with it so uh, as we know the classroom is a place where all kinds of uh, uh, it's like a microcosm of the society where all kinds of relationships of power and everything plays out in the classroom and um, of course, there are uh, the classroom dynamics is always where exclusions and inclusions and you know uh, discomfort uh, is also part of it. So especially in some of the discussions about college life, uh, for many Dalit Bhajan students, that's not a very pleasant experience. That's something where they experienced exclusion uh, so intensely from uh, because college is also probably a transitionary place where you leave the place probably the place where you grew up and you go to another place and you have to uh, especially for students coming from Belgian backgrounds there may be a lot of things that um, uh, that this place can make you uncomfortable and also there is a uh, the, the kind of uh, classroom dynamics can also uh, kind of exclude 
their being in many ways. So, uh, however, I was thinking uh, students, uh, the Dalit Bhojan students indeed experience different kinds of, uh, like Professor Tirmal's word, diminished being in classrooms. However, the Dalit Bhojan teacher is also equally a subject of scrutiny in uh, most of uh, Indian university campuses. Um, uh, though the teacher is in some ways an authority figure in the classroom, the teacher is also a subject of scrutiny in many ways within the classroom as well as outside the classroom. But um, of course, classroom interactions and your experience as a as a student who has come through this system is actually a resource for you. For instance, my, uh, I think when I started teaching, one of the things that I knew because um, uh, under Professor Thirima's guidance, one of the things I learned was uh, that teacher's intervention is best effective if they can make you think critically and challenge you theoretically or to think independently so that is something i have uh, i have got from, uh, from from professor tirmar's guidance and that's something i thought in my classes as also worth uh, doing other than you know other than the role as a teacher so i think that is an important exercise to be able to think independently and uh, to cultivate the sense of critical thinking which has uh, in some ways helped me also deal with uh, the experience that I ha had as a Dalit Bhojan student and uh, experience I have as a Dalit Bhojan teacher as well. Then, of course, as I mentioned, all these dynamics of um, uh, the discrimination in classrooms is rampant. Something that helped me was this um, uh, inculcation of critical thinking that uh, made sense of this discrimination as not just as an individual or personal problem, but as something that is structural and something that is experienced by many before us and uh, some something that people have gone through and fought through. So that is also something that equip you with the tools to uh, deal with these situations, which I also try to impart to my students. Yeah, I think uh, that that helps. So particularly uh, the, the specific things, suggestions of critical thinking, independent thinking uh, that have uh, uh, that you have also tried to practice with your students. Um, and you believe also Professor Thirumal has done that for you. Uh, Professor, would you like to add anything, Professor Thirumal? As uh, somebody who has held some administrative positions, uh, which also means policy making in the university, where I would want to believe that the University of Hyderabad has been open to experiments. And uh, even though we have had some unpleasant uh, uh, situation, events sometimes, but on the whole, if you look at uh, the uh, performance of, let us call it plurality, uh, there has been a certain way plurality has been discussed uh, plurality has been, policies about plurality has been uh, executed, uh, monitored. Uh, not that it is the best, but uh, there is there has been a certain scope for experiments in, uh, in, uh, in University of Hyderabad. I would, I would want to grant it, grant that. Uh, that. That is also, I would want to believe, it's basically the generosity of that ministry. But it is also to the vibrant discussion, struggles, and other kinds of things that happens on the campus. And the institution has been sensitive to what is happening uh, and, uh, with the 
with these kinds of discussions, dialogues, struggles, protests, etc. So there's been a mutual gain, I would think, uh, uh, when it comes to policy making uh, about social justice. It is not that uh, we need to celebrate that, but it, there is something that is uh, not totally negative. That's that's what, that's something. Now, classroom. When it comes to classroom, what makes a classroom a lively place, a, a place, an animated place, is not merely the teacher's ideas. Yes, they do matter. But a, a certain, the differences, like uh, Christy was talking about microcosm, but people bringing their experiences to the classes. And uh, these experiences also are something that require a lot of uh, engagement, uh, a intellectual engagement, uh, a certain affective emotional engagement. There's a certain intensity you, uh, with which you can understand the classroom. Since the, the student environment here is uh, pretty uh, vibrant, uh, the politics is pretty vibrant, the classes also tend to be a lot more vibrant. Because they're asking questions, they're asking, so, uh, so in some sense, there is a certain healthy kind of uh, interaction between the classroom and what is happening outside the classroom. And uh, especially students coming from non-urban places bring in a lot of critical stuff for you to uh, engage with. And, uh, uh, and they form their own solidarities and they talk to others and this makes a lot of difference. I would think, uh, uh, the, the, at least in this university, I would think in, in many departments, the classroom has been a space of transformation, uh, at least in some time, not always, uh, there, there has been instances of that kind, both for the teacher mm -hmm. as well as the student. Mm -hmm. And are there examples that both of you, maybe one one uh, that each of you could share of, you know, where at least where uh, your intervention as professors uh, and, uh, you know, as an administrator, uh, Professor Thirumal, where you felt like you were able to, you know, actualize some of the uh, things, some of the problems that you were, like counter some of the problems that you were diagnosing in education as a whole in India? Let us say some better practices that have been implemented, like, for instance, uh, uh, if you want in terms of your, because uh, being uh, as an admitted, I'm no more a dean, I'm still, I'm just a I finished my term. Uh, but I would think uh, this is one of the first universities to implement uh, reservation in at the level of guest faculty, for instance. Uh, you, you do have reservations at the level of substantive position. That's different. But at the level of what they have, they have roasters. So you, irrespective of the discipline, you follow a roaster. Uh, that, is, that is something... Uh, and University of Hyderabad, even in terms of recruitment, has been, I think, one of the uh, best universities in implementing reservation. This is partly due to the kind of politi politicized campus that we have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the clear relationship between the outside the classroom and inside the classroom. Yeah, yeah. And at the, at the institutional scale, which is just really heartening to hear about. Yeah. Uh, yeah, as a as an initiative of many Dalit Bhojan teachers in University of Delhi, um, uh, now there is more representation of Dalit Bhojan students 
um, because of several teachers' interventions, um, and uh, especially colleagues like Hani Babu and uh, several others took a leading role in uh, ensuring, uh, in going to colleges, uh, having these campaigns to ensure that uh, the reservation policy is implemented without fail. And um, so there is, compared to what it was, uh, 12 years back, now there is much more uh, uh, implementation of reservation and therefore much more diversity in classrooms, which was not common sometime back. So, uh, so it was uh, a collective effort and especially some people put in a lot more work to make it happen. I just want to add something here. What has happened is, uh, in the process, you have new bodies coming into the campus and uh, the uh, you have a post-independent higher education system attuned to certain ways of doing things. So while mechanically we have got a lot more people inside, uh, in an academically, intellectually, emotionally, the system is not there to attain to these new bodies and new minds. And there has been a certain discomfort, I should say, or uh, the the older algo algorithm has, is no more working and a new algorithm has not yet emerged. And uh, this has created, I suspect, uh, uh, a certain, um, uh, I mean, it, uh, it also coincides with liberalization, etc. And uh, it makes things easier for the policymakers not to attain to it. But that is what has happened. I mean, just when they were entering, uh, they, uh, it was difficult for them. I, I would want to believe that, not that uh, these dominant bodies want to dominate, but they didn't know what to do with these bodies. And there was a lack of, uh, what shall I say, an overhauling of the existing system to accommodate this, uh, uh, the newer people who entered. Uh, the, the older students were much easier to handle with, and they, basically the Savannah students. And now the, the newer bunch, they do not know, not only the, not only the, uh, the student, but also the teachers. It happens to both the teachers and the students. So I think we are exactly in a moment where we have not found a, what do you call, a medium where, you know, both of us meet, I mean, there's a way that we have worked it out. It is, it is an incomplete mm. project, actually. The bundle is an incomplete project. And I think some of the ways that it's manifesting the incompleteness is also through the uh, activism within, like the social student movements within, uh, like, uh, like the study circles, Ambedkar, Periyar, Fule, uh, study circles and, you know, the interventions that they brought, even with highlighting some of the cases of bullying and uh, yeah. uh, harassment yeah. uh, recently yeah. Uh, yeah. in the very elite institutions. So... Yeah. Uh, maybe this is a good time to learn about your primary areas of scholarship, uh, both of y'all, uh, which is media studies. So if you could walk me through your work, uh, Professor Christie, uh, that investigates both, both caste and gender. So I'm trained in uh, media studies and I worked as a journalist for some time before I started doing my PhD under the guidance of Professor Tiruman. So uh, while working as a journalist and also later, something that one noticed is, as we know, media is a part of our everyday life. Um, and a lot of uh, the news, images, visuals are kind of something that stays with us and in some ways shape our uh, 
political as well as cultural worlds. Um, but um, when you look at uh, the studies of media, especially in the Indian context, we do not see a lot of studies that problematize or uh, that uh, closely look at what is being produced and what uh, what does it entail for uh, uh, for understanding uh, cultural relationships, social relationships, or uh, or what are the dominant modes or or other modes through which it is produced. So this indeed has some connections with how media studies um, uh, emerged in different parts of the world where uh, it was closely associated with you know uh, the emergence of media studies research for instance in the beginning was closely associated with measuring the effect of um, media messages for instance uh, specifically in the context of second world war and so on so there was a certain aspect of positivity attached to media studies research in its beginnings so there was very little attention to the you know the ideological production of uh, media content in that sense and uh, in india of course uh, even ambedkar has spoken about how uh, the indian media is um, dominated by brahmins and how it overlooked the issues about uh, issues of uh, dalits and so on so uh, so the whatever was produced and uh, received through media was in some ways not brought to critical scrutiny in that sense. Uh, but of course, uh, there was some criticism emerging by the 90s. Uh, women uh, journalists like um, Amo Joseph and Kalpana Sharma wrote this book, Whose News and um, the Media and Women's Issues in 1994. Uh, there was also this uh, more debates coming out about the lack of Dalit journalists in Indian newsrooms by 1996 and so on. So there were some of these debates emerging, um, but at the same time there was um, not so much work on the the interrelationship between caste and gender and how does it inform the production of media content and how it is received so uh, this is something that was so these different uh, debates disparate debates were happening but it was not uh, so much about how gender is um, uh, always informed uh, in, even in media debates by caste so uh, uh, so my work in some ways um, uh, uh, does this casting of gender in media studies in uh, whatever limited way. Uh, could you share an example through which we can understand how these dynamics have played out in the media? Uh, you know, this way we can also be more watchful for when it happens in the future. Of course, uh, as I mentioned, uh, though the positivity of media studies research stayed for some time, especially in uh, um, American media studies research, there were different kinds of uh, strands of research emerging, uh, like the cultural studies uh, branch, which um, came out of UK initially, and some uh, stalwarts like Stuart Hall were uh, uh, turning their attention to uh, the ideological underpinnings of media production and reception. So um, uh, Hall's work was instrumental in uh, uh, in uh, being attentive to how race is an important aspect of media production. And there were several other scholars who continued this work. And um, there is also, um, I mean, when I was working, of course, I had the able guidance of Professor Tirimal, uh, who continuously, uh, I mean, inspired one philosophically 
but at the same time there were also not many walls for one to um, one to take um, uh, I mean, one had to kind of weave a framework to look at it in many ways. So uh, other than this critical cultural studies, some of the works that inspired one to uh, think about bringing together these categories uh, where uh, the work of some uh, black feminist scholars, as well as, um, for instance, the the concept of intersectionality proposed by uh, scholars like Kimberly Crenshaw. All these were inspirational in thinking through uh, different, um, uh, uh, in thinking through formulating a framework to look at these debates. So one example, particularly in uh, in uh, my book, uh, is about, uh, uh, there is a chapter about a set scandal in Kerala, and I uh, foreground how uh, the least spoken about about or verbally explicitly articulated caste is actually very much uh, a part of how gender was debated in relation to this case. So uh, to do this, I analyze print media reports. Uh, and within these reports, I look at how language is used. And uh, I also look at the continuities of these debates in cinema, as well as legal discourse. And uh, I, uh, through this analysis, I show that this visibility, as we say, after the 1990s in Indian media was constituted through a certain uh, uh, forms of hypersexualization of Dalit Bahujan women. So, uh, so um, the, there are these, these kind of uh, different nuances in fact, illustrates this continuing forms of gender formations based on caste, despite its packaging in these uh, media technologies. So, uh, so something that was important in this work was to bring this the foreground these different quotes and subtle suggestions, which communicates caste not always in an, uh, in an explicit manner, but more in a clandestine way in these modern secular spaces such as media. So I show that it is through such markers, which are public secrets, that caste is circulated without being articulated in the so in these so-called modern secular spaces. See, the discipline of journalism and media studies to a large extent, which, uh, which is actually, uh, uh, you know, thought of as journalism, discipline of journalism, seems to be a... Uh, a ideologically neutral discipline, like many other disciplines. Uh, not merely that, it is also it's a very applied discipline. Uh, so what it simply means is you only deal with the immediacy of the world. You you do not have a sense of uh, what do you call uh, a sense of distance from the object, as it were. Uh, since you you are literally blinded by the object, actually. So, uh, since you don't have that distance, uh, you, 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 and that's one of the reasons why Christie says it's a secret. You don't talk about caste, you don't talk about gender, you don't talk about sexual orientation, you don't, because of the, because of the immediacy of, of, of the discipline, I, I think that's one of the characteristics. That, that example helps. And the fact that it's not always explicit in the so-called uh, modern and secular space, spaces such as newsrooms. Um, and, you know, it circulates as public secrets in Professor Christie's words. Uh, so the increasing visibility, you know, in the post-90s that you mentioned uh, came with the hypersexualization of Dalit Bahujan women. 
Uh, so to know more about this could we you know learn more about your book titled Sexuality and Public Space in India Reading the Visible One of the difficulties while doing this dissertation was to think about a framework how to uh, you know how to understand the interrelationship between caste and gender within uh, within the tools of media studies so uh, so uh, to overcome this difficulty i my project is more of an interdisciplinary work where i took um, of course media studies is the core discipline but at the same time there is also uh, a lot of inputs uh, taken from other frameworks which i found useful such as i mentioned some of the uh, indeed some of the feminist debates anti caste debates uh, was inspirational uh, but uh, i also uh, used um, uh, tools of critical cultural studies the works about um, uh, black works of several black women scholars where they discuss media and so the to understand this intersections what are the frameworks that one can use so those uh, some of those works were useful in understanding it at the same time i also wanted to kind of uh, discuss um, the the debates in media and how it circulates in different platforms so uh, so in my uh, dissertation which also was written in the form of a book i look at these various sites in the public space that uh, through which this debates travel and what does this debate um, um, entail for understanding caste and gender for instance uh, when i look at um, uh, newspaper reports as i said i was also looking at the linguistic usage and how this linguistic usage is picked up in other performative art forms so there is this whole uh, you know whole journey of this uh, debates through different sides that creates a certain understandings that is also a reflection of many things that was happening probably at that time because um, my study specifically looks at the uh, visibility of women's sexuality after the 1990s uh, in media so uh, that's also the time when media itself was uh, changing in terms of its format of business and its growth and so on so the technologies itself was undergoing so many changes which also necessitates a uh, um, lot more news lot more content whatever the content is so in that sense all how all this come together through different sites in the public space is something uh, that i uh, did in the book which kind of charts out the journey of one particular case uh, from its beginning to almost 20 years through different sites in the public space and through these different debates i kind of um, uh, foreground the figure the figure of the woman who com- comes out through these debates as a dalit bhojan woman which also points at the fact that i was mentioning earlier that it was um, uh, it was mediated through caste through the hypersexualization of dalit dalit bhojan women especially in debates after the 90s yeah and uh, just picking up on one thread uh, which is about the you, you mentioned the linguistic uh, choices and uh, how that translates even in the performative uh, context i was wondering if you can tell us a little maybe one example where you know this is something that you know really exemplified kind of shows the theory that you then formulated based on uh, that example 
yes yes so for instance in one of the chapters i look at um, uh, the neology of uh, malayalam media in relation to sexuality debates so i look at terms like um, uh, i mean what are these subtle usages that emerge uh, along with this visibility of you know uh, this uh, there is so many debates about this case happening so what are the usages that are used especially there are terms like um, and now i remember i mean i do not remember many words but some words like penvanibham uh, which means uh, which literally means women trade then uh, then words like pedanam pedanam uh, uh, the literal meaning of the word pedanam is torture but um, uh, the this word pedanam has become synonymous with uh, sexual harassment and rape while reporting issues related to violence against women so there is a new terminology that has started circulating in relation to this debates about women's sexuality in malayalam public sphere and um, uh, so i follow this uh, uh, the uh, the i mean how this word pedanam starts getting used to denote rape and also how is how uh, later in its journey over the years it, it becomes a word that denotes uh, you know uh, it's a word that is used jokingly to talk about violence against women so from a word that means torture to its journey to a word that becomes a, a word of ridicule or a word that became almost comical so how what does it mean for politics of uh, gender and there are also uh, pedanam is also combined especially in uh, especially when it comes to dalit virgin women there is a different valence to this word and uh, so i follow some of these debates to uh, some of this um, um, media reports then there is also there are this um, mimicry uh, performances in kerala which used to be quite popular and it became very popular in those usages as well so i see how this meaning of this word changes in this context of the you know it's a post liberalization period everything is you know um, everything has a space uh, everything is articulated but what does that articulation mean for uh, the politics of gender and caste that's that's an important journey of how the usage of the word has has transformed especially a word that is used to describe sexual torture to a word that's being used comically um and and obviously in in problematic ways um and it makes me want to read the book this example uh so just uh, transitioning to professor theramal your work uh, with the most recent epw article uh, you've seemed to shifted you've seemed to shift your analysis to the question of vitality rather than ideology of caste what does this mean uh, particularly uh, since your article was written in the context of uh, bullying by this professor seema singh at iit kharagpur one way of uh, thinking about life is to understand it as a biological biologically so vitality in in a common sensical term and also in a scientific sense is uh, we define it through biology life and when we eat the food and you know this all kinds of cellular production sexual production this there's a way we understand uh, life okay but uh once uh intensity as i as i keep saying for life as it were why why do uh, why do why do you 
think the upper caste elites can do 100 and odd things. I mean, they can be X in the morning, Y in the evening, Z in the night, and something else, something else. Uh, work in Bangalore, work in, uh, uh, in, in uh, what is that place, uh, uh, the Silicon Valley or somewhere else. Or, or how is it possible to explain the creation and uh, need to experience life in such diverse manners? Now, one thing you can say it is modern education, but I don't think it suffices because modern education, there's so many people, so many communities will have modern education. But why certain communities seem to have this capacity for uh, what I'm calling is intensity for life. Uh, so you, you need, and that is one of the reasons why uh, the, the line that we had, why Indian, it is not our line, it is the EPW's line, why Indian universities, uh, are, are places where savarnas get affection. Yeah. So we are talking about why this vitality for savarnas yeah. and not for uh, the Dalit Bahujans. Is there something, is there some structures, invisible structures, which seem to, uh, which seem to give them uh, an extra ounce of uh, life, an extra ounce of pleasure, an extra ways of uh, living life. Uh, I mean, this is uh, this is the question. The notion of vitality for Dalits would mean it, it, it's a resistance to servitude. It's a resistance to shame. It's a resistance to the intolerable present. And this is what Rohit Bemula wrote in his letter, that reducing Dalit Bahujan to a thing meant that Savarnas do not attribute life to this thing. That Savarnas, if you do not attribute life to this thing, it's so important that others also recognize you as a human being. Others also recognize you as somebody who can do certain things. But if you recognize me only as matter which cannot shine or matter that cannot take a form on its own, whereas upper caste matter can take a, can, uh, I mean, that kind of a matter, that kind of a body can take any form it wants. But this matter is inert. This matter is passive. This matter cannot shine. So uh, it is. It is in in why why uh, this is something uh, uh, which uh, I think it is there in literature. It is there in so many other kinds of not in social sciences though. So uh, and actually that article dominant bodies in some ways is actually a reaction to that uh, statement which Rohit mentions that is reducing Dalit Bahujans to a thing. I, I would also, in some ways, uh, relate it to uh, Gopal Guru's uh, The Theoretical Brahman. Uh, in, in the sense, what uh, Gopal Guru, in, in, in a certain sense, seems to be echoing this spirit, not exactly the same way, echoing the same spirit, the Theoretical Brahman. Now, in, our, in the work that we intend doing, it is to bring a body to this theoretical brand. This theoretical Brahmin doesn't have a body. Now we want to say how this brand, how this theoretical Brahmin body thinks, how this theoretical Brahmin feels, how does through his thinking, through its feeling, how does he humiliate? How does he does not give dignity to the others through his emotions, through his uh, through the way that uh, uh, this uh, the, uh, the, uh, this this body, what is the intelligence of this theoretical, I mean, of this body, of this dominant body? 
how does it discriminate? How does this dominant body discriminate? The vitality question is about not so much about ideas. It is about ideas, but it is also about the the senses. I mean, it is also about emotions. It's it is a whole affective dimension that we want to bring to the understanding of uh, discrimination. And most of it is, in some sense, as we were saying, they are not conscious of it. It is not we are blame. I mean, it is not the Brahmin needs to be blamed because he, the body doesn't really listen to the mind most of the time. No? The body is acting. It is it is something written in the body, not always guarded by the uh, by the mind. How does the body speak for me is more important. The dominant body, and how does it decreases the vitality of the the Dalit Bahujan and increases its own vitality. Now, in the latest thing on IIT Karagpur article, what I'm saying is I'm drawing up a history where I'm saying how this vitality is something that it creates, the ambiance of the institution, the aesthetics of the institution. It has created over a period of time. It increases the vitality of the dominant body and decreases the vitality of the uh, the Dalit Bahujan body in some ways. Mm-hmm. So there's a relationship between the two. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think the it's from the feeling I'm getting is also that it's not an essential essentialist argument. Um, so even though you're saying that, you know, uh, uh, Brahmin. No, it's, not, it's not conscious though. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you're saying that it's not a conscious, uh, conscious, uh, conscious, uh, you know, decision uh, on the part of the Brahmins, but you know, there has to be some kind of accountability and, you know, uh, uh, so it's, it, I'm no. assuming that it's not, it's not taking that argument where it's like, you know, there, this is not on no, purpose. No, so. I'm also suggesting there is a cultural unconscious of caste, mm-hmm. which is stored in our bodies. Yeah, yeah. And uh, which, uh, which, which, uh, uh, what do you call, which expresses itself. And uh, which is understood, actually. Uh, the extreme case was Karakpur, but that is an extreme case. Yes. Most of the time you don't know. That is, uh, I mean, that is... Uh, that's what you're pushing towards. Yeah, yeah I, I think we covered a lot of ground and uh, I encourage uh, people to read uh, their articles and I've linked them in the show notes. So thank you so much, uh, Professor P. Thirumal and Professor Kamil Christi for coming on Research Radio. Thanks, Abhishek. Thank you, Abhishek, for uh, inviting us and it, it was a productive chat. Thank you. I hope you liked that conversation, even though there was a lot more to discuss. And as I mentioned, do head to the show notes. Uh, The EPW Engage article that they've written is out of a paywall, so that's freely accessible. Um, And thank you for tuning in. If this is the first episode that you've listened to, I recommend checking out our previous episodes. We have over 30 in-depth conversations with academics and activists. Do reach out to us via any of EPW's social media accounts or or email us at social at epw.in with your feedback. Thanks and take care.